Okay. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to summarize what we have learned for the benefit of people who do not remember what we've learned. Which is everybody. Why am I being so cynical? Because memory is something that fades. So no matter how much you remember, there's always some degree that you're not remembering. Which is why the trick to remembering is not to remember like you learned it and now you remember, but to actively remember. Right? This is why we have in the Torah many mitzvahs involved. Can like, people talk to you There are many mitzvahs that involve what's called zakhira. What is zakhira? Zakhira is remembrance. So we remember it's Shabbos. How do we remember it's Shabbos? Anyone know? By making Kiddush. Right? Remember the exodus from Egypt. How do we do that? On Pesach, we tell over the story, we do the mitzvahs at the Seder, and every day, right, we, we say, we mention it during Shema, right? We remember what a Amalek did to us, how do we do that? We rem- remember what a Amalek did to us. Oh, um, So we have the custom saying the Shishchiris, the six remembrances, and we also read Parsha Zachar, right? So the idea is that remembering is something that's active, because forgetting is something that happens. We are forgetting, and since we haven't reviewed recently, we have forgotten. Right? So we're going to review what we've learned. Okay. Okay. So the first thing we learned is that the godly soul, in addition to having its core powers, which are divided into two, what are the two groups of its core powers called? Anyone remember? Seichel Amidas. Okay. Seichel Midas. Seichel being usually translated as the intellect and Midas being the emotion. Seichel meaning the soul's awareness of Hashem, right? the, sense of, the sense of the reality of Hashem, making sense of Hashem, etc., etc., versus how the soul feels towards Hashem, which broadly divide into two basic emotions known as what? Love and fear. Love and fear. Okay. In addition to that, there's also three garments. Why are they called garments? Take them on and off. Right? Changing garments is not changing the person. Just like physically, you take your clothes on and off. You take the changing, like growing, losing weight, becoming physically stronger. Action involves work for change. So, to changing the seichel of the midas, my awareness of how I feel towards Hashem, requires prolonged growth and effort. Right. Whereas the these other three things they do not require that they're just something you can choose to do or not do which are thought, speech, and action, physical speech and action of mitzvahs yeah. right okay and we spoke about the differences between thought speech and action i'm not going to go over those in detail then we said that the the soul actually clothes itself in the garments meaning that the the soul finds expression there and we focus specifically on the expression of the emotion that the emotion the midas find expression in the speaking and doing of mitzvahs. Specifically, love finds expression in the positive mitzvahs and fear finds expression in the negative mitzvahs, right? Now, why? Because if I love, what does love mean? What does it mean that I love something? All love. Any kind of love always means what? What? I know. I just put the Right? Love is I feel connected, right? Love, I feel connected, which makes me want to be 
more connected, right? A feeling which would be the desire to be connected. Right? Obviously, the meaning of connection varies, right? So if I feel some kind of connection to Hashem, but I actually want to be more connected. Now with Hashem, there's a very big difference that we spoke about is that when I love a person, my very feeling of love is a genuine connection. Right? Because we spoke about how people, by, by virtue of our, our, our um, commensurate level of being, we're both the same kind of thing, my feelings towards one person arouse within that other person similar feelings back, right? This is not true about Hashem. So my, my feeling of connection to Hashem does not actually create a, a genuine connection, right? What is it that creates a genuine connection? When he reaches down to connect me, which is the positive mitzvah, right? Where that's the idea of the limb of the king, just like the limb. On the one end, the limb is a physical thing, but it actually contains the life of the person, right? That's why like when I walk to shul, right? I stick out my hand and my child grabs my hand, we walk holding hands, right? What's the point of that? It's connection, right? So every mitzvah is Hashem reading out to us and are doing the mitzvah with any sort of integrity or some truth comes because I want to be connected and the only way to be connected to him is not for me to connect to him, but for me to receive his connection back down to me. So that's the idea that love is clothed in the positive mitzvah. And obviously when I feel the love towards Hashem, that I do the positive mitzvah in a very different way, right? It's not dry, it's not technical. Okay. And then fear. So what does it mean to fear Hashem? So the first thing that we said, which is not actually in the time, but it's important, is that fear of Hashem doesn't mean I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me. Being afraid of what's going to happen to me is called fear of punishment. And that is um, a necessary evil. But here we mean fear, which is the fear of rebelling against him, right? Or doing what is displeasing in his eyes for two levels, right? Rebel against him means I don't want to break the bond that connects it. What is the bond that connects me to Hashem? Is that Hashem has a will? Hashem has a desire for how long to be. I disregard that I've broken the bond between us. I don't want to break that bond. What? Is that limiting? Yes, it's limiting. Is there a problem if it's limiting? I don't know if Hashem is Beyond limit. No, I meant the fact that Hashem has a desire. Are limits a good thing or a bad thing? Very good. Why? The boundaries. Why are boundaries good? Because I have to work. I need someone to care me. Then what? I want one. Why are boundaries good? Because extreme is good. Why? No, I don't have some questions. Well, if we didn't have boundaries, or no, like, like you, you raised an important point. I'm going to just back down now. Well, I am. I don't know. Boundaries are good. Why? They keep me in interaction. So, if you didn't have any boundaries, there's a word for that in Hebrew. Someone has no boundaries. It's called Hefker. Yeah, Hefker. Hefker is bad. Hefker means ownerless. Hefker means anybody can do anything they want, however they want, whenever they want. It's very scary. Yeah. Yeah. You want to hear an interesting halacha? 
Right. I don't know if I should be saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Right. So, you know that there are three sins that one is not allowed to commit, even if it involves dying? Mm-hmm. What are the three sins? Idolatry, adultery, and murder. Okay. It's idolatry you got right. Murder you got right. But it's not limited to adultery. It's any of the sexual sins. So incest would be included in that as well. Thanks. Oh, you just told me about that. Is that he's yeah. marrying into your sibling? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's also, that's also, yeah, I'm telling you that. Right. What degree of incest? Biblical. Why? Okay, but now here's. Cousins are good. Cousins are permitted according to Torah law. I know people who marry their cousins. Um, sibling, parents, and? Yeah. Sibling, parents. Sibling, Children. Well, that's parents. Okay, so here's an interesting question. Okay, here's an interesting question. And let's just. Pretend that this could really happen. Maybe it could, maybe it couldn't, but let's see. Okay. Um, and, and it can really happen. Let's say somebody is lovesick with a man, and he's lovesick for a certain woman, Romeo and Juliet, yeah? Except it's, they're Jewish, so his name is, I don't know, Beryl and Razel. Beryl is lovesick for Razel. Okay? And Razel, what? Razel, Razel's not married. Um, and Beryl's like, if he doesn't, if he doesn't, you know, marry her, then he's just gonna he's gonna die of, of a broken heart. Okay. And she's happy. And 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 you know and 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 there's no there's no it's not there's no there's no there's no sin here right no no it's for to die right. Um. So do we tell Razel she has to go marry this Beryl so the Beryl doesn't die? Because she's not Hefker. That's what it says. Benoist are not Hefker. They're not ownerless. They don't just, oh, Beryl's going to die unless Razel marries him. I guess we have to marry Razel off to save Beryl. The answer is no. No, because Razel also is, because he's not actually going to die. Even if he's actually going to die. That's what we say. Even if the doctor says he's going to actually die, you say, let him die. And even if he just needs to yeah, even if he just wants to look at her, say, no, nope, yeah. too bad. Oh, he can't even look at her? I mean, his, um... <laughs> no, his idea is that a person has a basic level of dignity, right? The opposite of being Hefker is that you have dignity, so you have a direction. Like, there's who I am, there's what I stand for, there's what my life is. I'm not some ownerless object that you can just, like, use me as you will. That's just not how it works, okay? That's called gvul, that's called boundaries, right? That's called limits, right? Something without limits is Hefker. Hefker is cheap, it's ownerless, and so the halacha says, is, yeah, there's not a question of do you have to give up your life. This is a question of even if someone is going to die, we don't take away this Jewish woman's dignity. He'll die. Between him and God. That's <laughs> his problem. That's the halacha. It's halacha. Right there in the code of Jewish law. Black and white. With no one, there's one of those halachas that no one disagrees about even. <laughs> okay. So now, do you think God is Hefker? No. No. That's cool, actually. Yeah. So, now, there is... He's beyond Hefker. Oh, so there's an important thing, which is like this, which is somebody who doesn't have the flexibility okay, to forgive, the flexibility to adapt, right? They're rigid, right? That's a bad thing. Right? Right? So, for instance, if, if for instance, if a person, if a person, um, 
if a, if, if a person says, look, this is important to me and I'm willing to die for it, okay, that's fine. It's like, okay, if that's really that important to you, it's really, like, really, okay, that's, that's, that's coming from a place of depth. But on the other hand, the person is like, I'm so stuck in my narrow-minded way, I can't even see the other option. And so I'm, I'm doing things that are stupid and ridiculous because I'm not, I don't have the flexibility, I don't have the ability to adapt. That's a negative thing. Yeah. Right? You see, there's, there's, this, is a, this is a major difference. So when we say Hashem is not limited, what do we mean? What do we mean that Hashem isn't limited? He's hefker, everything goes. Means, look, even if you do an Avera, you think Hashem can't forgive you? Of course he can. Of course he can. He's beyond limit. Right. But not that he has no limits. He's not trapped by his limits. So, so, this is, this is the, so this is this is the thing that we run into a question of what's called semantics of using words to mean different things. The whole idea of Judaism is based on the fact that Hashem is limited, but not limited in the sense that something came along and made rules for him. Hashem has to follow, but in the sense that he has, he has his own rules. He has his own inner dignity. He's not hefker. He has a way he works, and he's going to stay true to himself. Right? That's a laudable thing. Right? Now, is he trapped by that? Does he have the flexibility to be creative about how he goes about it? Sure he does, right? It's not, right? As opposed to us, we have both kinds of limits. We also have limits in the negative sense, right? That there are many times, like, wouldn't you like it to not, just like not get angry about certain things because you realize it's like not, it's not worth getting angry about. But we feel trapped by our own, right? So that sense of being controlled by something else, that kind of limitation doesn't have. All right. So if I violate, if I disregard his will, right, that breaks the bond between us, right? And if I value the connection to him, I'm going to be afraid of breaking the bond. Why am I afraid of breaking the bond? What's going to happen if I break the bond? And the answer is it doesn't matter what's going to happen. That's the thing I'm afraid of, right? I was one time interviewed before I was wise enough know not to know not to be interviewed. Um, yeah, you know interviewers, they, they, they ask questions to make you sound a certain way. Do? Yes. So the actual question is to make you sound certain. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know the the interviewer asked the politician, "When are you going to stop embezzling?" But, but that that's it. <laughs> you see, if, yeah. yeah. No, what are you supposed to say? I I I have to start arguing with the premise, and then you look like you're being argumentative. You're just, you can't. It's not a good thing. So I was asked by this this person. I was learning in Kyle in the old city, and this. Um, they, they were doing this, I don't know, this documentary or something, and they came to the co I was learning, and I was one of the only people that spoke English, so <laughs> I get, I, um, and uh, they wanted to know, like, about different, different things, about Judaism, and whatever, and so they wanted to know, like, you know, about, like, the Temple Mount, and building the temple, and they kept pushing this point, like, and when, and when the temple is built, like, what is that trigger, what is the, you guys want to build the temple, and that's what's, like, what's, what's, like, what's that supposed to bring about, like, what's, you know, and I keep trying to say, no, 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 no. The, the temple's the point. It's like the temple's not like the trigger to bring about some like apocalypse. No, like, like we want the end of days to occur so that we have the temple, not the temple to bring about the end of days. And, and then you get not just because whenever you argue with the interview, you always come off looking stupid um, for the most part. So, but, so what's the thing that, what's the actual thing that, that, that the person who has a fear of Hashem is afraid of is they're afraid of breaking the bond that's created by Hashem having a will. The fact that Hashem wants something of me, that means we have a bond, and I'm afraid of breaking that bond. Not what's going to happen because I broke the bond. If I'm afraid of what's going to happen because I broke the bond, then that's already called 
fear of punishment. Even if it's my own guilt, I don't want to feel guilty afterwards, that's also fear of punishment. Okay. Then there's a deeper level of fear where you're aware that Hashem is right there present, and that every time you do an Avera, God forbid, you are feeding the Klippas, and to do, feed the Klippas, which is something Hashem hates, right in His presence, it just feels, I believe the technical word is icky. And it just feels icky to do something that someone else finds abominable in their presence when you admire that person and value that person. So too with Hashem. And so the caution to be extra careful to make sure that I'm not, God forbid, violating the rules of the Torah comes and is expressed uh, uh, from this fear. Okay? That's what we've learned up until now, yes? Okay. Now, what? What? And, and we discussed the like what Klippa is. Okay, so now that, that's kind of that's an overview of the first part of the chapter. Okay. Now you have a choice. The choice depends. The choice is: Would you like the class to be easier or more difficult? The advantage of the imagine, the advantage of the more difficult is you will learn more. But the disadvantage is you'll have to be more actively involved. If you make it easier, you can be more passive, but you'll learn less. I have no one says easy, so well, difficult. Okay, good. Because I see sometimes that you guys are very passive, and I want to know if that's like a conscious choice. Okay, I'm gonna read. This is what's gonna happen. No, I'm gonna read. Okay, and then I'm going to make you answer questions about what we've read. So you should be reading along. And you're going to have to think. And I'm going to slowly pull the information out of you. I know, but I keep the possibility of changing how I do it. I do it in a way where I do, I say, outright ideas and just have a look. That's right. But now we're kind of, now I gave you the opportunity to consciously choose to do it that way. Thank you. It's like a bas mitzvah, right? Up until bas mitzvah, you have to keep to our mitzvahs because your parents are making you after bas mitzvah. It's up to you. My son, my son just well. And I was thinking, I'm glad he's not a girl. <laughs> yes, I'm like, I'm glad I have another year to work with him before it's up to him. So I was 12, and I was like, I mean, we were telling him, I've been talking to him about, you know, like, you realize, like, next year, like, if you, if you miss the time for Shema, like, 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 you really miss the time for Shema, like, like, that's it, like, like. And girls don't have. Yeah, girls don't have missing the time for Shema. That's right. Um, and like if you don't if you don't go if you don't dive in with the minion like that's a real deal like it's not like a joke. Um, so you've got a year to like figure this stuff out. Yeah. And then we spoke about not lying to yourself and just deluding yourself, which I think is an important message for someone entering teenage years. Anyway, so I'm glad he's not a girl because I don't know if I'm ready for the idea that he would be up responsible for his own mitzvah observance. Okay, so let's read. Now, we are at the circle and the triangle. The circle and triangle. I have a circle and triangle. You don't know what the word is. No, no, an actual circle and triangle. No. Yeah, we're at the paragraph that starts now these three garments. Ours has two boxes. Okay. That's that's because you have the updated Australian version. Oh. Yeah. 
That's why occasionally your text you, will vary from sorry. my text. What? Where is it in Hebrew? In Hebrew? Yeah. Vihine. Shlei What? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Now these three garments deriving from the... Sorry, where is it in Hebrew? Vihine shlei shilavushim elu. It's six lines from the bottom. Yeah, we're done with the clip. The clip I did. The clip I did parenthetically just to like flesh out what he was saying, but it's not like it's not. It's not the main thrust of the chapter. The main thrust of the chapter is all about the garments. Now, these three garments, which are thought, speech, and action, deriving from the Torah and its commandments, although they are called garments of the nefesh, ruach, and neshama. Okay, for now, I will get into this later. But for now, nefesh, ruach, and neshama just mean the soul. Okay. Their quality. Nevertheless, is infinitely higher and greater than that of the nefesh, ruach, and neshama themselves, as explained in the Zohar. Because the Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are one. Stop. Okay, that was one sentence. I believe the translator, that is the first period we've encountered. Yeah. Okay, that's one sentence. Okay. That's so now, what? It's a short sentence compared to the last paragraph <laughs> one sentence. The last paragraph was also one sentence? No. no. The paragraph four was just a million commas. There's two sentences. Yeah. Well, the thing is that in Hebrew, having long, complicated sentences actually seems to flow better. This is why my wife hates learning in English. Yeah. Because it's just convoluted when you translate these sentences. But, okay. So the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is tell me what did that sentence say like what did that sentence say? Like just like, not explaining, but like just what did it say? That even though the mitzvahs are like the souls, they actually are more than that. It didn't say that even though the mitzvahs. So 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 first off, you're very good. You said even though. That's good. Let's put an even though. Even though something, nevertheless something else. Let's start there. Let's because let's just let's stop. Let's stop. Let's make sure we understand this because. Do you know the difference between real learning and fake learning? No. Okay, real learning has, has sentences like even though, nevertheless. And fake learning has sentences that have the word is. So like, this is that. This is that requires you to have the intelligence of what? Of age? Like how, how old do you have to be to be able to understand a sentence which takes the form of, you know, lights are muksa. Shabbos is holy, right? Right. Okay. How how old are you? What? You two are so young. There's just a two-year-old in here. Does she understand that? No, the sentence. Sure, they would. And then ask you, what is the meaning of the word muksa? That's not what I'm asking you. The grammatical structure. Two-year-olds for sure understand that. Even less. Yeah. You know, even like some kids when they're getting even a little bit before two, maybe a little bit. Right. Yeah. The marker is red. I mean, okay. I'm not asking if they know what sh- what holiness means. They might say this is red too. Two Until the, can that is well, not the death, but like the sentence. This is if they know what the meaning of the word red is, they understand the sentence. Two, three, whatever it is, it's the toddler, the toddler level sentence structure, yeah. right? Okay. Right. What? Now, what about even though, nevertheless? No. no, no, no. I want to know oh. what age you need to be in order to start understanding sentences like oh, even though, nevertheless. And then we're going to do that next. Okay. And I want to explain to you why that's real learning, and then you'll do this. When you get to that school. Really? 
I think like high school. I have children. Now my oldest is is brilliant, so he understands even though nevertheless. But most children don't. You know how I know most children don't? Because the Gemara is structured in even though nevertheless format. What I, what is an even though nevertheless? A is true. In some sense, A contradicts B, but B is also true. That's actually quite a comp. Like to say the same one, but to actually get what that means is, is quite complicated. Now the Gemara, like the, the Gemara, is, is is works like that. You say one thing, and you say, but something else contradicts. And you say, okay, well, the first thing is true in a certain sense. The other thing is true in a different sense, and so they're not really contradictory. And then you build on that, and you go back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. And what happens when they start teaching children at age nine, ten, eleven Gemara to most children? They have no idea what they 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 they, they understand it in terms of just like information. Just like, like they, they understand the conclusion. They understand like this is this, but the idea that there's 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 a this version and a that version, that you can look at it this way, you can look at it that way. If you look at it like this, it's like that. Very hard time understanding that. Very hard time. Okay, it's it's much more of something you start developing as a teenager. Okay, give you an give, give you an example. Just putting it in an emotional context for a second. Can you love somebody and also be really angry with them? Yes. What? Yes. yes. Can children love somebody and be really angry with them? No. no. Because the minute they start to try and acknowledge that they love, they have to suppress their anger. Like, it doesn't work. Like, even though I love you, nonetheless, I'm so angry with you. Like, that doesn't work for a six-year-old. So then what ends up happening when they're angry? They want to kill you. I want to kill you. Right? Little kids will say stuff like that. And then what happens when they love is like they have a hard time acknowledging. And then you get the problems like on some level people stay children when they're adults. Yeah. So then they have these kinds of issues that regarding their parents, they're like, they have this like either I love them or I am angry with them, but I can't simultaneously feel both. And then I have like complexes and issues, right? Okay. Even though nevertheless is actually a very profound thing because you're saying I have two things that are both true. They are in tension. They contradict each other in some sense. And... At the same time, they're not really contradictory in another sense. Okay, so real learning always means taking two things which don't really fit smoothly together and figuring out how to make them fit. Good. So always ask yourself: Am I just going assimilating information? Or am I doing some real learning? Okay. Now, what do you think the sentence means? Even though one thing, nevertheless, something else. Even though. The nefesh, ruach, and neshama are holy. The garments of them are infinitely holier due to them deriving nope. Nope. from the garments of Nope. 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 Even though they are called garments. Even though the garments are called garments. Nevertheless, they are holy. Nevertheless, they are. Doesn't say the word holy. Not holier, but their quality is greater. No, you need to. You should use the words even though. The, 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 even though the word isn't there, it nevertheless has an even though. Okay. So, if if we make a hierarchy, okay, what's higher, the soul or the garments of the soul? The garments of the garments. If we make a hierarchy, what's what's higher on the hierarchy, you or your dress? Yeah. You. Okay, so when we call something a garment, what are we automatically implying about it by calling it a garment? That it's secondary. That it's secondary. That it is secondary. 
right? That is a basic meaning, right? Garments are secondary to the wearer. But you put your garments in Right now, I want to talk about my jacket. I don't want to talk about any tournaments. Me and my jacket, okay? The very fact that my jacket is an article of clothing already means that on the order of what's more important, less important, more greater, significant, right, is that I am higher, I'm higher up on that hierarchy than my jacket, yes? Mm-hmm. Okay, right? So now if we call the machshava dibor ma'is, the thought, speech, and action of the 613 mitzvahs, the garments of the soul, what does that imply about the relative hierarchy between the soul and the actual doing of the mitzvahs? Which one is higher? The soul. the soul is higher. What's the evidence for that? That the Torah mitzvahs are called? Garments of the soul. Good? So even though the Torah and mitzvahs are lower than the soul, as evidenced by the fact that they are called garments, nevertheless, the Torah and mitzvahs are actually infinitely higher than the soul. These now these three garments. What are the three garments we've been talking about? Right, but so those three garments only the thoughts, action, and Torah mitzvahs. Avtar mitzvahs, thought, speech, and action, as opposed to thought, speech, and action of something else. Right. So are the Torah So here's the thing: Are the Torah mitzvahs greater than my soul or lower than my soul? Like I'm teaching toddlers. When we do the mitzvahs, no. both, both, nevertheless. Both, both. Even though the Torah and mitzvahs are lower than my soul in one sense, nevertheless, in some other sense, they're higher. How much higher? Infinite. No, we do know. It says infinitely higher. Okay, but then the sentence has a third clause, which is because. What does because mean? There's a reason why. There's a reason why. Reason why what? We have a lot going on here in this sentence. The Torah and Hashem are one. Yeah, but what's that a reason for? Why in this case the garments would be higher than the soul. Why the garments are higher than the soul. Okay, so there's actually here three ideas. Okay, let's make sure we have the three ideas and we'll put them in relationship to each other. Idea number one, the Torah mitzvahs are lower than the soul. Okay, that's why they are called Garments of the soul. Idea number two is the term mitzvahs are infinitely higher than the soul. Okay, what is the relationship between those two ideas? Even though the first is true, nevertheless, the second one is also true. Okay, then what's the third idea? The reason why for first the idea and then its relationship. It's good to it's good to break things apart between the idea and its relationship to other ideas. The Torah and Hashem are one. Does the marker work? This marker does seem like the green one. The, the brown works the brown works the best, so we'll do the brown. Okay. 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 It's important, if you want to learn anything, to differentiate between an idea and its relationship to another idea. Okay? For instance, think of ideas as people. Okay, so I'm me, and you are you. What is our relationship? Teacher, student, right? What's my relationship with, um, let's say, Rabbi Vichit? Right. Ah, 
So now it's complicated because on the one hand we're friends. They're your coworkers. We're not just coworkers. He's the Rosh Hashiv of the men's program. So you're right. So now, right? On the other hand, right? On the on the other hand, there's there's certain things where he sends people to ask me questions, right? So now he's getting like, two people, but there's many different relationships involved, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's ideas, and there's how those ideas are related to other ideas. Okay. So this sentence has three ideas. Idea number one: the Torah and mitzvahs. That's my abbreviation for Torah and mitzvahs. Are lower than the soul. Idea number two, Torah and mitzvahs are? Higher. How much higher? Infinitely. Infinitely. My handwriting is what? So you. I'm curious what, what, what? What's with my handwriting? I'm curious. What's with my handwriting? Just so you. Okay. Do you do handwriting analysis? What does that mean? I also don't know what it means. I'm very curious. What does that mean? Okay. And the third thing. What I do? Those are three ideas, right? I could have a class, just on idea number one. I could have a class today. Class is how the turbines are in fact lower than the soul itself, right? Can we have a whole class about that? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Explain that, give analogies, blah, 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 right? We have a whole class about how turbines are infinitely greater than the soul, right? Yeah. We could have a class about how turbines are one with Hashem, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What did the altar ever do? Okay. He took these three ideas and he put them in relationship with each other. What are the three, what are the relationships? So what's the relationship between one and two? All right. Although one, nevertheless two. Right? Even though one is true, nevertheless two is also true. Also, geometry. Yes. Proofs. Right. Proofs are about right. You have different statements, and the question is how they relate to each other. Right. And so if we're also although nevertheless. No. No. So we say. So then we do is we the relationship was we say, we say. So to make the sentence very simple, we say. The relationship between one and two is, although one is true, nevertheless two is also true. In other words, they appear to be contradictory, but they are in fact. But right, and then what's the relationship between three and one? Because there's no relationship. There's no relationship between three and one. Yes, because 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 one or two because two. The relationship. Because one second. Because because tyrannists are lower, why tyrannists are lower than the souls? Because tyrannists are one with Hashem. What? Then what happened to two? No. No. It's two. Why are tyrannists infinitely greater than the soul? Good. Because. Tyrannists are one with Hashem. Tyrannists are one with Hashem. But also, if it goes together and it's both with one and two, then tyrannists that are also lower than the soul. Have to be because they're one with Hashem. In a sentence of although, the although is always true, but nonetheless, there's a like. 
the okay. new finger framework. Right. Okay, my God. So, okay. So now, we need to understand all three of these ideas. Then we need to understand how the ideas relate to each other. Okay, I'm going to add one more idea. Okay, I'm going to add one more idea that the algebra didn't say, but you should be able to figure this out. Okay, so. Even though one term is are lower than Hashem, nevertheless, terms lower than the soul, nevertheless, two terms are infinitely greater than the soul. Why are they infinitely greater than the soul? Because, because number three, the terms are one with Hashem. Okay? Tell me a third idea that we can now infer. A fourth idea that we can infer. The algebra doesn't say, but is implied from these three. You said you wanted hard. No, I know. I'm putting you to I know. Because of these two, what outcome could we make? What other thing could you figure out? What fourth thing could we put that the algebra didn't say, but is implied? And the soul also part of Hashem? Well, if the soul being part of Hashem... If the altar rabbi didn't say it, then it's not important. If the altar didn't say what? If you didn't say it, then, like, then it's not important. <laughs> no, because the Alter ever wrote the Tanya Kitzer in, 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 in very dense stuff. So, right? It's the only five. Well, like, you would have said it if it was, a, if it was a four. If it was big enough to be a number four. So the Mitzvah said, no, so the, the soul and Hashem are one. No, are something. Soul and Hashem and, and Hashem are the same. I don't know. Okay, so no, because they said it's you right. You you are right that the thing that would be implied is about right because here we have turbulences relating to the soul. Here we have turbulences relating to the soul. Here we have turbulences relating to Hashem. So now the thing that's implied about this is what is the soul relative to Hashem? The soul and Work together, are the same, are connected, but let's think, they're right, soul and brothers. Isn't a soul piece of a chef? Are you working off what's on the board or are you working off of prior knowledge? I can make it more complicated by throwing more things on the board. I just want to work, there's a fourth thing implied only by these three. So the soul and the Hashem are lower than the Tyrant Ritzvah, which is not true though. No, no, no. The Tyrant Mitzvahs are lower than the soul, yes? Yeah. And somehow, we don't know why, that doesn't contradict the idea that the term mitzvahs are infinitely higher than the soul, right? The soul and yeah. Okay? But the reason the term mitzvahs are infinitely higher than the soul it's is... the term mitzvahs are all the Hashem. Which tells me what about the soul and Hashem? The soul and Hashem, and I must do to our understanding. No. The soul and Hashem are... Are, are, are not. Are not what? One, Thank not, you. Oh, okay. Are not what? I they're not one. obvious. Okay, fine. Oh. Oh. Well, they're not what? They're not one. They're not Oh. How do we know they're not one? Because if, said if three, that the term of mitzvahs are one with Hashem, is the reason why the term mitzvahs are infinitely higher than the soul, then the soul, is then the soul can't be one, one with Hashem. Oh. Right? Yeah. Okay. So this isn't said in this sentence, but it is part of the meaning of the sentence, right? Right. If you don't get that that sentence is also saying... Right. If, I know, if, I, if I wrote the sentence out more explicitly, it would say like this. Even though Torah mitzvahs are lower than the soul, nevertheless Torah mitzvahs are in a certain sense infinitely higher than the soul because the Torah mitzvahs are one with Hashem, whereas the soul and Hashem are not one. Right? Now the whereas is implied. Right? The altar is expecting you to think that through. But it's important that we know that. Now we have to explain all of this. 
Okay? Okay? And the idea being is that if we understand all these ideas thoroughly, it will make sense why they're related the way they are, right? How one and two can both be true, and why three explains two, and why four is, you know, all that should make sense if we've explained it. Right. But it's actually, a, this is a very complex and dense sentence. Okay? Then you have the complication of the Alter Rebbe doesn't just say soul, he then throws in the idea that he calls the soul by technical names Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama, which is important, but I will talk about that much later. All right. When much later? Like when we finish. No, when we finish this, when we finish all the, what we're doing now. I was like tomorrow? Maybe, it depends how it thinks. Okay. So. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going, what we're going to do is we're going to take all of this and I'm going to do something very, very typical for Chabad Hasidus, which is I'm going to erase it all and switch topics to talk about something else. Yay, love that. Okay. And in order to make sure that we've erased it, I'm going to physically erase it. Okay. So now we're going to learn about a new topic. Once we understand this topic, that will give us the uh, that will give us the information we need to then make sense of what we've just put on the board. Okay. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the term lights and vessels. In, in the context of Hasidus, not like I went to the store and bought some light fixtures. Light and vessels Light, yeah, there's the lights and the vessels in Hebrew, Oris and Kalim. Anyone? Yeah. You've heard this? You've, I'm asking if you understand it, you've ever heard it. Okay. Someone, what? I don't think so. You've never heard it. Together? Yeah. Lights and vessels? There's lights and there's vessels. I really don't know. Okay. In, in, in one thing together? As a, as a, there are two ideas that generally come as yeah. a pair. Yeah. Yeah. You heard yeah. yeah, I've heard. Okay. So. Why are you laughing at me? I'm being honest. Okay. Okay. So we're gonna we're going to we're gonna we're gonna we're going to use the following so that there's. We're going to use the following idea. Hasidus differentiates between what it calls a vessel versus a garment. There is a vessel and there is a garment. Okay? Are both receivers? Both receive, and the thing they receive is the light. So you could put light in a vessel, and you could also put light in a garment. What is the difference between light in a vessel? Yes. I'm going to tell you. What? Uh, that? And light in vessels, you know what that means already. Like that one I'm good with. Yeah, no. Okay, yeah. I guess not. Okay. So first off, let's all be clear that we're talking about things that are, are the, we're going to have to talk about this while using analogies, right? Because we're not talking about things that we directly experience. Okay. So first off, let's talk about light. Let's make sure we have an understanding of what light is. And then we're going to talk about the idea of 
what it means to put light in a vessel versus light in a garment, and why garments are better than vessels, and vessels are better than garments. That each one has a virtue, each one has a mile over the other. What? There's pros and cons of each. Okay. So what is light? Okay. So very. Let's try, I'm gonna get, we're going to do this very slowly because you guys want to understand. Okay. So let us imagine that we are in a room and the room is completely dark. There is no light in the room. Okay. The room is not missing anything because there's no light in the room, right? You are not lacking in any way because there's no light in the room. Yes, you are. No, you are not. <laughs> How are you lacking? If you're in a pitch black room, you're missing one of your senses. No, you're not. You're not. Your eyes work just fine. You, as an entity, are not in no way deficient. If you were to then go out of that room and come to the doctor and say, Doctor, there's something wrong with me. What? I can't see. And the doctor would examine your eyes. Your eyes are fine. Your visual cortex is fine, right? The optic nerve is fine. There is nothing wrong with you. So you are, to use the Hebrew, you are completely whole. The room is completely whole, and yet, you're missing what's, hap- what's missing? Your sight. You can't see what's in the room, right? What? Okay, that, that's, that, 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 that. So then pretend that someone's not scared of the dark for the purpose of the analogy. Okay. Right. Right. It's... If God forbid you were missing your eyes, if God forbid you were something that, like there, you, you could be, you could be broken, you could be lacking, right? But that's not what's happening here, and there's nothing, not, and there's, there's nothing lacking in the room, but you can't see. Why can't you see? Because there's no, no light. light. Okay, so now what I want you to do, and this is important, is I would like you to tell me what light is, but only talk about what it does functionally. Do not give me any sort of physics. Don't, don't describe physically what light is. Tell me what light is functionally. It is what enables you to see. Right? But now we have to be more specific. It is not you. Light is, because right, your eyes also enable you to see, but they're part of you. So it's something that enables you to see, but isn't part of you. But it is also not the part of the thing that you are seeing, right? So, for instance, the room is dark, and I can't see the table, and you turn on the light, it's not like the table got a new part to it, right? It was missing a leg, you know? So, it's, it's, so light is not part of the seer, meaning me. It's not part of the thing being seen, meaning the room, right? Right? It's some kind of error. And when it's present, the seer can see what is meant to be seen. And when it is absent... The seer is fully present. What is meant to be seen is fully present, and yet you can't see it, right? Right? And one other thing. Do you actually notice the light doing its role? No. Right? If the light is functioning, right, then you don't, you're right. So the light allows you to see something else. You don't actually, so the light is not like a translator, right? It's like if you speak Chinese, and I don't speak Chinese, Right? You can't say that the translator is light because I don't then that, under hearing what you're saying, I'm hearing what the translators say, right? Whereas in light, right, turn on the lights and I see I see the table, I don't I it's, I've seen the table, right? So light is very weird. Okay? Light is something which does what? Enables one entity to see another entity, not to connect, to see. It's it's very passive, right? Right? 
But when and, and you and when it's present, you don't actually experience the light, you experience the thing you're seeing. And when it's absent, you notice the absence not so much of the light, but you notice the absence that you can't see the thing, right? So I'm in a dark room, this is why some people are afraid of the dark, right? When I'm in a dark room, I can't see what's in the room. When the light goes on, I can see what's in the room. So the thing you care about is what's in the room. Right? Okay? Right. So light, so this is why we use light as a metaphor for the idea of revelation. In other words, what changes when you turn the lights on? It reveals what's in the room. Did you become any different because the lights are on? It's not like you were blind and then went to the doctor and got healed. Did the things in the room become different because the lights are on? It wasn't like they, it wasn't like, you know, like sometimes like, you know, you mix a chemical together and it starts off clear and then it turns more opaque. No, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing changed. But the light allows you to see what's there. And it allows you to see what's there in a way where it itself remains unnoticed. Wow. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, good. That's a problem, but for our purposes, we're not going to worry about that right now. Okay? In other words, I'm, not, I'm, I'm bringing every idea in, hopefully to the degree needed, to give a rigorous understanding of this sentence of Tanya. I know more than that. Okay. So now, when we speak about God's light, can anyone tell me what God's light is? Revelation. What? Revelation. So let's, let's, let's just take the little, let's, let's do it, be pedantic and annoying. Let's take the exact same thing. If I am perfectly whole, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm a holy person, right? I'm not. I'm. 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 You know. I'm, I. I have spiritual sensitivity, and everything's good, right? Let's. Let's say there's nothing wrong with me, which is not true, right? I've got stuff, plenty of stuff that's wrong with me. But let's pretend not. Pretend I'm Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And there's God. So God is present. Moshe Rabbeinu is present. Moshe Rabbeinu is spiritually sensitive. Does Moshe Rabbeinu experience God's presence? And the answer is. No. Why not? Well, what happens if you are fully healthy and you're in a room with a table, but it's dark? What doesn't happen? You can't see the table, right? You can't see the table. Why can't you see the table? Because there's no light. So what happens if God is present and Moshe Benu is present? Moshe Benu is the ultimate in terms of sensitivity to God. He's the table, the man. He's the man. And God is the table. But it's dark. God's the table or the light? He's only going to see the table. All right, let's make a table. I'm, that was a pun. Okay. So then even if God's the table, then as long as it's dark, you can't see. Okay. So you have a person. You have a table. Okay. What happens if you have no light? Right. So there are three reasons I might not see the table. Right. And the problem number one is there might not be a table in the room, right? For instance, right now the reason I don't see a table is there's no table over here. It's very simple, right? Right. Another reason why I might not see something is I'll take off my glasses. Um, yeah. So I can't see basically any of your faces because my eyes are that bad, right? That's a problem in the seer, right? Right. Yeah. So. I might, seeing might not happen. Seer. What do you see? Oh, the seer. Seer. Yeah. It is actually a word. It's just a word that people. Oh, I was like the seer. Okay. 
I mean, not used to this. Oh, 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 gosh, it's fine. The person who sees, I don't know. Okay, whatever, I guess. Sorry. 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 Either there's something wrong with the table, right? Maybe the table's not in the room. Or there's something wrong with the person. Maybe the person's blind, right? But what if the person is perfectly fine and the table perfectly fine? The person is in the room with the table, the person has eyes, the person is looking at the table. Why would a, and then why are they not seeing the table? There's no light. Because there's no light. So what does the light do? The light makes it that the person can see the table. That's the connecting. Right, but it's important. Does the person experience the light as an intermediary? No. No. What is the person? It's the presence of the light makes it that I see the table. Right. Right. Not a picture of the table, not a reflection of the table. I see the table. table. Okay, good? Yeah. Okay. So now, when we speak about the light of God and God's light and all that stuff, right? So let's take a person. Take that back off, right? And let's take God. Okay. Why doesn't Rabbi Kaufman see God? Well, that depends. Well, well, let's first up. Is that because God is not present? No. No, that's never the case. God is always present. So, right. so God is okay. So why doesn't Rabbi Kaufman see God? Why don't I see God? Because Rabbi Kaufman is not a holy man. Rabbi Kaufman has an animal soul, and Rabbi Kaufman gives into his animal soul and sees with coarse fleshly eyes and has all sorts of things internally that are problematic. And so just like Rabbi Kaufman needs physical glasses, right, to fix his eyesight, Rabbi Kaufman needs to work on himself to fix his spiritual sensitivity. So that's the problem with Rabbi Kaufman. But now let's move to someone else. Let's talk about motion. Okay, so the issue would be that there's still no light. So now, okay. Moshe Rabbeinu, he's perfectly fine, right? Yeah. And God is there, right? So that would be like the person in the room with the table. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu not seeing God? And what's the answer? There's no light. What does light do? Reveals. It reveals, right? Yeah. Ah, why did Moshe see Hashem? Because there was light. And what happens when Moshe Hashem took away the light? He doesn't see. That's right. That he's still there. So Moshe is in the same reality with God, and Hashem's light is there, which means now that Hashem, Moshe can see Hashem. Mm-hmm. Hashem takes away the light. That's all we mean when we say Hashem's light. And the important thing is, do you care about the light? Why do we why do we pay the money for this stuff? Because we want we want there to be like little photons zooming down the room. We want to see what's going on, right? So why do we care about the light? Because the light is what lets us see. The actual thing. The thing that needs to be seen. In this case, why do we care about God's light? Because God's light is what needs to be present in order for us to see right, but God. In this case, God. The God's light is not in your control. So you can never turn off the light. But it sure can, can be an object. We can see mm-hmm. God sometimes in certain things. Right? That's true. That's true. I'm oversimplifying, right? Okay, good. So now everyone's clear with me by light? Yes. Okay, so now if you close your eyes and say, imagine God's light, what, what, what happens? You can't. You shouldn't be able to imagine God's light. Because what's God's light? God's light is the thing which isn't God, but when it's present, you can see God, and when it's not present, you don't see God. But when it's present, you don't see the light, you just see, right? Because it's not like, right? And that's separate from the issue of your degree of spiritual sensitivity, right? 
Right? If a blind person walks in the room and doesn't see anything, it's not the problem because there's no light, it's a problem because... He's blind. He's blind, right? So now, I could be standing, right, and, and God's light could be present, and I don't see God because I've got a problem. Okay, so let's just stop for a second. Okay? When you do a mitzvah, it brings God's light into the world, right? You've heard this before? Okay, let's make that not spiritual mumbo-jumbo. Let's mean that, turn that into something that anybody could understand. When you do a mitzvah, what changed? It's taken from the and that's not what yeah, I said. Hashem when you do a mitzvah, God's light comes in the world. What does that mean? So you can see Hashem, which is there the whole time, and now you see it. No, but the problem is that if you're not, uh, whatever word, okay, to see, whatever, yeah, you're not, well, if you're not sensitive, if you're not spiritually sensitive to see it, then even though it's real, you won't see it. That's right. So if I, I, I put on film. Well, well, that's that, So I put on film, let's say, yeah? So let's say, let's say I put on film, right? And let's say someone, let's say, let's say someone's rich sense, say the Rebbe. The Rebbe is the in the room with me. And I put on tefillin. What all of a sudden happens, the Rebbe all of a sudden has a sense that Hashem is present right where I am wrapping up tefillin. Now here's the thing. Was Hashem there before I put on tefillin? Yes. Yeah. So why didn't the Rebbe sense it? Because my putting on tefillin brought the light. However that works. Okay. Now I don't sense anything. Why? Because you're spiritually blind. Because I'm spiritually blind. Okay. Good. Make it, so it, it's not like I, I, I what I it's we want to differentiate between the idea that something is mystical in the sense like we use words and don't know what they mean, and the idea that something isn't something I directly experience. Yeah. Particle physics is not something you directly experience, right? You don't like actually see protons and neutrons, electrons. It's something that's very counterintuitive how it works, but you could study and understand it, right? You have to learn a new language, you have to learn concepts, but you can make sense of it, right? Same thing with godliness. Just because you're not spiritually sensitive that you experience godliness like Moshe Rabbein or like Rishon Barachai, like the Rebbe, doesn't mean it has to become esoteric mysticism and you just use words without worrying about what they actually mean. Okay? So when we talk about the light, before we even get to the vessels and the garments, what is light? Light is something that we understand in terms of its function. When it's present, the thing which could not be seen can now be seen, but only by those who are sensitive to seeing it, not by those who are insensitive, right? So God's light is that, some, that thing which is not God, and when it's present, God can be seen. And when it's not present, God cannot be seen, not because God went away or came back, and not because you refined yourself or didn't refine yourself. You could be perfectly refined like Moshe. God is fully present, and yet he doesn't see him, can't perceive him, because the light doesn't reveal him. An important thing, you don't see the light. You see the thing the light reveals, right? Setting aside your question about really bright light, which is the topic, but not for right now. Good? Okay. Now. What is the difference between a vessel and a garment? We put, so we could put the light in a vessel. We could put the light in a garment. Okay. So the analogy that we're going to use for a vessel is your physical body. And the analogy we're going to use for garments are actual garments. Okay, so here's the thing. If your soul is in your body, we've just talked about this before, your soul and your body, they fuse to become one. 
How do we see that they fuse to become one, that your soul and your body fuse to become one? So before that, we have to understand, we have to think about them as different. We're going to do this very simply. Sometimes it's helpful to focus on just the simple basic points and not overly complicated. What are some basic features of your body that are distinct and unique only to your body that do not exist for your soul? So first off, your body has a physical size, has a physical shape, it is in a physical location, right? Your soul on its own, would it make sense to say that your soul weighs so many kilograms and it's yeah. so tall and it's, and it's right now in Jerusalem? If you talk about just the soul, it doesn't make sense to think about that, right? Like, just to give you an analogy, although the soul is not this, but let's just say, like the number two. How big is the number two? How many kilograms does it weigh? Is it in Jerusalem right now? If it wants to go to New York, does it take a plane? Or they can't, it's stupid to think about it that way, right? If we were talking about the soul on its own, any sort of these more tangible physical properties, size, shape, weight, location, wouldn't apply to the soul, right? Okay. How do I see that my soul is fused with the body? So now here's the thing. Is my soul here? Right where I'm pointing? Is my soul over here? Sure it is. My soul is here. Is my soul here? No. No. Okay, so here it is, here it isn't. Where's the border where my soul is and where it isn't? It ends at the edge of my body. Right? When my soul connects to my body, what ends up happening is that my soul occupies a part of physical reality as a physical object. Right? Which is why, for instance, if I want to now experience the world outside this room, what do I have to do? I have to leave the room and go out over there. Have to, right? Because the soul has become one with the body, right? So where the body is, that's where the soul is, right? Now in reverse, what are some properties of the soul that are unique to the soul but not of the body? Well, a body is a physical object. Did the table feel anything? No. Can the table move itself around if it so desires? Okay. Now, if, when I did that, did I feel something? Um, and I was able to make myself do that. So how does it, why is this lump of physical matter experience sensation? And why does it have a will? Well, that's not features of the physical body. Those are features of the soul. And yet, right, it happens automatically. So what ends up happening is that the soul takes on a physical shape and a physical location, right? That of the body. And the body becomes a living entity that experiences and desires properties of the soul. So much so is this fusion that unless you stop and reflect on it, you don't actually experience the body and soul as two separate things. Make sense? Okay. So when you put the light in a vessel, it fuses, the light fuses with the vessel in the way that the body and the soul fuse together. Okay. If you want to think of like a good marriage, what's a good marriage? In a good marriage, what happens? Do the, do, the, do the spouses stay the same or do they change? change? They change, right? The wife becomes a little bit more like the husband. The husband is a little bit more like the wife. And over time, the relationship, right? And there becomes a blending and mingling. Right? Okay. It's like a good shit up, right? So what happens with the soul and the body? The same thing, right? The body becomes a little soul-like. It becomes a little more it's a living entity. It experiences it wills, right? And the soul becomes a little more physical, right? It's, it's in a specific place. So what happens, so what, is, what does it mean that you put the light in a vessel? 
Because there's something else which isn't the light. Okay, we're going to talk a bit about what that thing is. And the light and this other thing, what happens? They fuse together. And that means the light becomes a little more like the other thing, and the other thing becomes more like the light. Did we change the definition of light? Or no, no, no. So, so there's something, the light is present. Okay. But it's, but and now we're saying that it's present within this thing called a vessel. And when it's present in this thing called a vessel, its way it's present is that it's not just there, but it fuses with the vessel. And if it fuses with the vessel, what happens? It changes? That, that changes the light. It also changes the vessel. Okay. Good? Okay. So. What is the difference between the light being in one vessel and another vessel? Remember, what's light? Light is when it's present, Hashem is revealed, right? So if the light is in a vessel, then what does that mean? He's revealed, but what are you seeing? Are you just seeing pure Hashem? No. You have to, right, because the light that's revealing him is, ha is modified in some way by the vessel. So you're seeing Hashem in a, from, with a particular spin on it. Okay, let me give you an example of what I mean, okay? Am I revealing myself right now? Am I, am I revealing myself right now? Do you think yes or no? Like if, it, if it's a yes or no thing, am I? No? Not at all? What? So the fact that you're able to say a certain part of me, right? I'm revealing myself, but I'm revealing myself in a particular way, which means that we speak about the light going into a vessel. Okay, so I'll explain to you what it means, right? Have you ever seen a person really depressed, really miserable, right? They're lifeless, right? And a person, can, then there's a person that has, is full of life. They're full of, they're full of energy, they're, they're, right? And like, ah, there's a person there, right? Okay, now, so I can come in the class, right? And I can come and I can say, in all seriousness, not as an act, Today we are going to learn chapter four of Tanya. We will start with the paragraph, now these garments. Now these three garments, deriving from the Torah and its commandments, although they are garments of the nefesh. I, can't hear I know you can't hear me, but even if you could hear me, let's do it louder. Now these garments, the problem is if I do it louder, I already put too much life in it. Now these garments, deriving from the Torah and its commandments, although they are garments of the nefesh ruach and neshama, their quality, nevertheless, is infinitely higher and greater than that of the nefesh ruach and neshama themselves as explained in the Zohar, because the Torah, right? right? It's like, it's lifeless, right? Okay. Now, good teachers, when they teach, what happens? They're just like giving you information? No, right? The teacher, they're animated, right? The teacher's a life, they're enthusiastic, right? You say, wow, there's something that makes you, there's a person there, they care about what they're teaching, they care about this, right? So there's, a, there's something there that's revealing to you. There's a person there, not just a not just a recording, right? Not just something that makes mouth noises. On the other hand, that's that's going through a very particular social role, that of teaching you a specific idea, right? 
that same life, that same being animated, I could be animated about playing with my kids. I could be animated right about about anything, right? I could my 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 vitality can come out in so many different ways, right? So you're not just seeing, oh look, there's a person. No, you're but but now you get a sense, oh, oh they're excited about this. They're into that. And so there's, there's, you're giving a certain spin, a certain structure, a certain limitation. And that gives you a sense, oh, this person is, oh, this person's like a real intellectual because they get, when they start some ideas, they get really passionate. Or this person is, 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 a, is you know, really loves nature. I can see how passionate, how alive they come when they go on hikes. So what ends up happening is that you're seeing them but what you're seeing is actually the overlay between them themselves and something more limited, something more specific. Okay, you guys know what a Venn diagram is? Okay. Okay. So this is me. This is Tanya. Okay? Good? Okay. Hopefully, in class, what you're getting is this, right? So you're seeing me, right? You're seeing the fact that I care about stuff, I'm enthusiastic, I, right? That, 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 there's something revealing the, the humanity of the person, right? right? Now, what happens if you just like, have the book, or you have like, a, a person comes in and they dryly teach what's going on? Then you got the Tanya, but you didn't get the person, right? On the other hand, right? There are many ways I can be seen that have nothing to do with the Tanya, right? What you're getting is this overlay. Now, let's be honest. Does the Tanya alter your perception, right? The fact that you know me through me teaching you Tanya, does that alter your perception of who I am? That someone who never saw me in this context wouldn't see me that way? Probably, right? So, on the one hand, you're seeing me, but on the other hand, what you're seeing is a shaded version of me, right? Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what happens when the light is in a vessel, right, is that on the one hand, the vessel is a, is a specific thing. Okay? But the light reveals Hashem. So then what ends up happening is that you see Hashem as that thing can convey a sense of Hashem. And so what you get is a limited sense of Hashem. Okay, so let's use an example. So let's start. Is Hashem kind? Yes. Yes, he is? No, he's not. He's not kind. He's not not kind. He's not kind. He's not kind, though. He's kind. He's not 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 Maybe. 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 He's not kind. He's not kind. Does he choose to be kind? Let's. What's it? Let's calm down and we'll learn something. He's not kind. Okay? Okay? There's Hashem. Okay, but now, Hashem is useless, right? Because if you just have Hashem, can you see Hashem? Can you experience Hashem? Can you perceive Hashem? Can you be aware of Hashem? No. No, like a table, right? You can't see a table. In order to see a table, what else does it need to be? Eyes. Light. Right. You also need eyes, right? Okay, so we're not going to talk about Hashem. We're going to talk about Hashem's light. Now, if there's Moshe, yeah. Is Hashem's light time? 
wait a second. Now, if there's Moshe, and Hashem's light is present, like, he's like, there's Hashem! And what is Hashem? <laughs> what is Hashem? Anyone know what Hashem is? Love Hashem is, and to quote David Melch, Dumia Sehila, silence is his praise. Hashem, Hashem, there's nothing, Hashem is Hashem. There's nothing you can say. He's just himself. He's beyond, he's transcendent. Okay. On the other hand, when Hashem reveals his light, what does he do? Hashem created this thing called kindness. Now, kindness, not always, not always, but sometimes is a vessel for Hashem's light. When kindness is a vessel for Hashem's light, then what happens? You see Hashem as, and therefore Hashem appears kind. The same way I appear, right, through the teaching of the Tanya, right? And so you have a sense of me as someone who cares about Hasidus and someone who cares about teaching and understanding and all these things, right? And that's, but, the, the, so that's a way, of, it's, it, now, it's a revelation on the one hand, but it's, it's limiting it and it's giving it some kind of a, a flavor. It's actually true, okay? But you know what else? Hashem didn't just create kindness. You know what Hashem also, also created? You never create meanness. Evil. Judgment. You know what else Hashem created? Mercy. He created mercy. Now, is Hashem, kindness isn't mercy. Kindness isn't judgment. Judge. Something missing. Where's the G? Where's the G go? You gotta get G. Hashem is not kindness, Hashem is not judgment, Hashem is not mercy, right? But some of the kindness that Hashem created, not all of it, is capable of fusing with the light. Kind of like the way not all physicality can house your soul, right? Your body can, the table, I can't put my soul on the table, I put my soul on my body, right? I don't put, Hashem puts it in, right? Right, or some, or like physically, right? You can take light and put light through red glass and now light appears red, but you can't put light through a brick wall even though the brick wall is red, right? So some kindness allows Hashem's light to come through it, but then the light and the kindness fuse. And so when you see the kindness, you get a sense of Hashem. But you don't get a sense of Hashem as he truly is. You get a sense that Hashem is kind. Or if you see Hashem through the, through the judgment, then you're seeing, Hashem, you have a sense of Hashem, but you have a sense as being a judge. And now notice that this sense of Hashem and this sense of Hashem are very different. And a person might struggle to reconcile those two. Right? And then you have mercy, which is the third thing, right? Okay. Are you ever going to get Hashem not in a... We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. Okay? But this comes about because what's happening is that what you're getting is the fusion of the revelation of Hashem and kindness. Okay? Now, this is important. We don't actually get the revelation. Like most of us in the regular day experiences, what we usually get is just the kindness, the mercy, and the judgment, and we know it comes from Hashem. Okay? Which is... People deny that it comes No, even if you acknowledge. I'm talking about uh, you know, the mo really, really religious person, right? I really, really doubt him, yeah? That Hashem should, like, do something that is really important to me. Right? He should give me, like, something that I really want. And then I get it. And I'm like, thank you, Hashem. Here's the thing. What did I get? Kindness. I got kindness. And I attribute it to Hashem. I know it came from Hashem. But that's not the same thing as seeing Hashem. Okay? 
And the simple thing is that where is Hashem? He's everywhere. So if you feel like Hashem is is relative to you somewhere else and you're receiving something that he's giving you, then you're not really seeing Hashem because Hashem is not somewhere else. Where is Hashem? Right here. So when I see Hashem, I should feel like I'm in his presence. Right? Now, have you ever been in the presence of someone who's genuinely kind? Yeah. Even when they weren't being kind to you? Mm-hmm. But you could feel like, wow, this is with this person, right? right? That's different, right? So I could, I could do something for you that's kind, and you get the kindness, and you know it came from me, and you, you, you understand that I must be kind because I gave, right? And you believe that, and you're thankful. And then there's actually being in the presence of somebody and feeling their kindness kind of radiate off of them, right? It's much more intimate, right? This is the difference between just regular people and people with Ruach HaKodesh, okay? But now, if the Shem's light isn't present, is the kindness still there? Yeah, right? But there's no sense of Hashem. So you know, I know one second, you know why, why somebody like why why somebody might make a bracha before eating? Not you or me, but some of the coach would make a bracha. Other than they're very devout and you know they're always gonna obey God. But like, what would their self-interest be? Making a bracha before they eat. Eating is good, right? It's good to have food. Who gave me the food? Shem. Right. So that's an act of kindness on his part. Okay, that's great. That's one. What? No, wait, wait, wait. Right? So I, who have no Ruch HaKodesh, I'm like, wow, Hashem gave me this food. That's wonderful. I feel this gratitude. I appreciate his kindness. It's wonderful, right? I don't need to make the... I mean, I do, because it says Shekhanach, but like, I don't... Like, it's not going to affect my experience if I make the bracha or not. But what if I had Ruch HaKodesh and I ate without making the bracha? Setting aside the sinful part of it. I would eat the food. I'm like, wow, thank you, Hashem, for the food. But what if I make the bracha first? What does the bracha bring into the world? Hashem's light. And then what happens is it moves from Hashem just did some kindness for me to actually have a sense of Hashem's presence in the kindness. I actually feel like Hashem is with me, present, and I feel his presence, but his presence feels kind. Right? And other times that person's presence presence. Still in the but so I have the so I have the light, but I have the light filtered through. Hashem as opposed to what? So if I, if, I have, if I eat food and I'm grateful yeah. that I got the food from Hashem, what am I relating to? Just the kindness. But that's not the same thing as experiencing a sense of Hashem being present right here, right now, through the kindness. When you think about a person, right? right what we call personality is this stuff, right? What we call behavior that stuff, right? Oh, they did something kind. They did something merciful. They did something that was judgmental, right? But then there's no, I have a sense of you. You're a very, you're a very judgmental person. Judgmental is not the right word, actually. But, you know, you're a very kind person. I sense the kindness, not the action. I sense you, but through kindness. So it's a vessel. What happens in the vessel is that the light merges with the thing that it's within so that what you, with the revelation, right? So now, like if you were to have, if you were to put the light through red glass and you would see the table, then the table would appear red, right? Is the table actually red? Mm-hmm. But it would appear red. Is Hashem actually kind? No. But when the Hashem's light is in the vessel of kindness, then Hashem appears kind. When he's in the vessel of mercy, he appears merciful, which is different than him just doing something which is merciful. 
So here's the thing. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this, okay? Yeah. But not right now. We, we're going to have to continue the conversation tomorrow. I will, tomorrow we're going to start again with the light, light and vessels review this. Then we're going to put garments. We have this whole thing clear. Then we're going to go back to the Tanya and try and understand what the altar is talking about. Just make sure that someone does erase it because it's bad for the whiteboard to leave things on your floor.